Good morning, everybody. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. I'm so glad to be uh, able to have the chance to open up God's Word together. Whether you're here with me in the room or we're together online, uh, together is a good place to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray uh, before we jump into our sermon this morning. Father, we come before you, um, Lord, from all kinds of different places, I'm sure. Uh, Each of us have had our own week this week in whatever they've all contained. And so, Lord, we come from all those different angles, but now at this singular point together, we look to you. We raise our eyes to you. We we, uh, turn our hearts over to you. Maybe they're full of anxiety. Maybe they're full of pain. Maybe they're full of joy. Either way, Lord, we give our hearts to you. We turn our attention to you, to your word. Lord, we Take a moment to pray for all those who are hurting. We think of everyone who's dealing with the effects of the hurricane down south. We ask God that you'd be with each one. You see each situation. You're near each soul. We as a church can certainly lift them up to you and ask God that you would would be involved in every situation. God, as we open up your word today, speak to us, be with us, and may we leave here changed by your Holy Spirit, through your Holy Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, going back to our recurring series called Live Free. This recurring series explores the intersection between our mental and emotional health and well-being and our spiritual life and our discipleship to Jesus. We're discovering there's lots of truth that these areas have in common, and we're applying these truths from a biblical, holistic perspective. So in these five weeks, we're going to explore the hope and the healing that Christ provides us, or people that we love uh, who are facing deeply challenging and sometimes devastating maladies of our souls, anxiety, depression, shame, anger, and this morning, hope and healing for addiction. Now, I want to begin with a passage that speaks to the heart of this subject. It is in Romans chapter 7. Check this out, starting in verse 15. The Apostle Paul writes, I don't really understand myself, for, what, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And so, as we begin, this truth serves as a reminder that this is all of us at some level. Paul is not writing about addiction here. He's describing a human condition we all share. Addiction is this, is this right here at a whole other, even more consuming, even more cruel level. Addiction is a tragic amplification of this human condition, one we all share. Now what this means is, as we begin to move into this subject this morning, no one should ever see someone in addiction and not understand that could be me. And perhaps it is you this morning. And if that's the case, I'm glad to be here in this space with you. And I want you to know that that's true. I am and we are with you. 
Now, we're talking in some sense about us all when we read that passage and when we talk about the things that can lead to or create an addiction in any of our lives, even as we will talk about what it means to be in full-blown addiction. And yes, there is hope and healing in Jesus Christ. This is how that passage goes on. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And that's what addiction feels like. It is a domination of our lives. And yet, know this, there is one more powerful than any domination that may try to eclipse the the light, the life, the joy in our hearts. Thank God, verse 25 says, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you don't walk away from here with any other truth this morning, walk away with this one. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, to get us started, I sat down and learned from some of our outlookers who are also licensed mental health professionals. And so we've got a video here to get us started. Check this out. would describe addiction as the ultimate search for God. We understand that there's something that's missing or something that we want more of. And instead of going to Christ, we go to substances, food, sex, relationships, work, video games, as a way to fill up that void. So generally when you think of addiction, um, you think of something that takes precedent over like daily responsibilities or personal finance or even general safety, uh, to be honest. Addiction takes the form of a lot of different things and looks different for people and how it started. Other people have histories of trauma, that's what I see a lot. When they use, it's like it doesn't doesn't exist anymore and the more you use and the more you don't have to deal with the reality I know we might say well the reality is still there when you become sober but for that moment that moment of peace it seems worth it someone who's struggling with addiction is going to notice a lot of minimization and rationalization of their behavior also being in denial that we have a habit that could be destructive to ourselves or to other people, and blaming others and hoping that they can change will allow my addiction to continue. No one goes into addiction thinking, I'm gonna use this and I'm gonna use it forever and never be able to quit. But it doesn't necessarily have to be the substance, alcohol, marijuana, pills, etc. It could be power, it could be food, it could be money. Um, just really think in excess could be addicting. If your family or your friends note something, try not to be defensive, but really take a look at your use. One of the drivers of addiction can be genetics. It can be in families, but also abuse, abandonment, neglect, that can lead to the creation of an addiction that helps us numb and escape from the painful or traumatic things that we've gone through. We can't selectively numb. So like when we numb, we numb joy, we numb happiness, but we also numb sadness and anger. But like, we just, we lose everything else in in there and that's what the addiction does. It rips us of all that happiness and joy. Mm. Many thanks to Deanna, Jonathan, and Tamara for sharing their wisdom with us. We'll hear more from them in just a few minutes. 
Chances are good that addiction has touched your life in some way. Maybe you're in recovery, or maybe you're in denial and need to begin recovery. Maybe one or both of your parents battled addiction, or maybe someone you know and love has or is battling addiction. Let's talk for just a minute about what addiction is. A a definition will help us as we keep going. Addiction can be defined as a habitual dependence on and an inability to cease using a substance or engaging in a behavior, even though it is corrosive to our mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and even physical well-being. Addiction is not merely the moral failing of a weak-willed person. Don't, none of us can afford to fall into that kind of spiritual arrogance. Let me say that one more time. Addiction is not merely the moral failing of a weak-willed person. It is not. It is something much more than that. Addictions are traps that any of us have the capacity to fall into or be pushed into. And as you heard Jonathan say there at the end, addiction rips through and robs us of all that good stuff, all that joy. That is the enemy's job description. Let's remember the spiritual realities of our lives and of the world that we live in. There is an enemy. Satan himself would love to see every single one of us destroyed, drained, taken down. And the idea that addiction would rip through and rob, that is exactly what the devil does. And he delights in leveraging our fallen human nature, what we read about just then, in Romans 7, leveraging that nature to get us under his boot. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes to these Christians and says, quoting something that they were saying, I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything, Paul writes, is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, he repeats their argument, but Paul continues, I will not be mastered by anything. This, this is a core concept when it comes to uh, New Testament Christianity, to this idea of discipleship to Jesus. Self-control and the lordship of Jesus are central virtues throughout the Scriptures. This idea that I will not be mastered by anything. Anything except, of course, in the end, our Lord Jesus, who we gladly make the master of our lives, the Lord of our lives. Giving up that lordship, that's a big issue. Giving up and assigning lordship to anyone, myself or anyone other than Jesus. That And giving up that self-control, that spirit-inspired virtue that allows us to have control over our decisions as we submit them to Jesus. That is never a small thing in the life of a disciple of Jesus. Peter warned his readers of false Christians who were trying to lure his readers, into not taking their choices seriously, taking sin and unhealthy actions lightly, thinking that they're no big deal. And Peter issued them this warning in his second letter. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. Again, this is a recurring principle throughout the Scriptures. And as we read this warning from Peter, man, our world is full of false promisers, right? Slinging a form of freedom that's actually about giving away our ability to choose and submitting ourselves to the tyrant of our own appetites. 
The minute we begin to say to ourselves, I'm free to do anything I want, that quickly becomes I'm enslaved to everything I want, even if it's the last thing I need. I picture addiction as not unlike a giant meat grinder. If you think about what a meat grinder does, if you've ever known someone in addiction or you've experienced it yourself, once someone finds themselves in it, man, that crank is relentless. Your life just seems to keep getting shoved into the top of that meat grinder and that crank, even though often it's our own hand on the crank, the result is devastating. And it feels like it's never going to stop. Addiction is a voracious beast. And we, can, we will find ourselves potentially approaching that beast because we think it's tame. And we think it will give us something we need. But man, once we're in, once we're in the teeth of addiction, we need help getting out. It is a tragic and terrible thing to endure or to watch a loved one endure that trap, those teeth, that beast, that meat grinder. Or back to the biblical um, description, addiction is a form of enslavement to the pill, the porn, the drink, the high, the hookup. It is a bondage to these things. But it's not about these things. So let's take this one layer deeper. What's behind addiction? Often it's an attempt to answer these types of questions. What need am I trying to meet in my life? What hunger am I trying to fulfill? What pain, we heard this in the video, am I trying to numb? That's a big one. What trauma am I trying to forget? Another big one. What problem, and often responsibility, am I trying to escape? Or what joy am I trying to create or recreate? Those questions are really worth, and we'll come back to them in a moment, those questions are really worth our consideration for all of us, regardless of whether we would consider ourselves dealing with an addiction. We're really, remember, talking about something that rests in, the potential for this rests inside us all, and how do I meet my needs or fulfill my hungers? Am I ever tempted to numb my pains or forget my traumas or escape my problems? Am I ever, attempt, uh, ever tempted to recreate a joy in some sort of false, empty, or artificial way? We have deep needs and hungers, and this world is unqualified to meet them. We have pains and traumas that this world is simply unable to heal. But when the need goes unmet long enough, or the pain unhealed gets deep enough, we will try, and ultimately may try anything that promises to help us numb, forget, or escape, trying to cover what is bad or recapture something good. This is how anyone begins to find themselves becoming an addict. There's a constant yearning in our souls, and then a constant disappointment at what the world offers and yet can't really provide. Addiction is trying to fulfill this hunger from the wrong source, always needing more and more, always receiving less and less. It is the epitome 
of the law of diminishing returns. Some addictions create a physiological dependency. There's no doubt about that. Pain meds, smoking, things like that. But it all begins here. It all begins uh, in, com- in seeking comfort. About, it's about coping at their core. Addictions are all about finding a way to cope or to find comfort. And we all, again, I'll keep repeating this, we all can see ourselves in that need. For me, this is one of the reasons that I don't drink. I don't put that on anyone else, but not only do I not want to be a stumbling block to my brothers and sisters who are in recovery, and not only uh, have I seen, and maybe you have too in some ways, the subtle but very real potential alcohol has to take over or really just dilute someone's life, but I also recognize, I confess, that it would be very tempting for me to use alcohol as a comfort from my stresses, and that would invite a dependency that I can't afford. I recognize that in myself. In Ephesians 5 it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let's take that apart for just a moment. To get drunk is to intoxicate, distract, disorient, daze, and stupefy ourselves. Those are some of the synonyms for the phrase of getting drunk. It is to withdraw, it is to distract, it is to put ourselves in a daze, it is to remove ourselves. And this word debauchery that we read here sounds kind of old-fashioned, kind of Victorian, right? But to debauch something is to corrupt it or to ruin it. So don't get drunk on wine, it says. Don't intoxicate yourself, disorient days, stupefy yourself. It will lead to corruption or ruin in your life. But let's break this down even further. There's plenty of things that could go into that blank, not just the word wine. Do not get drunk on any number of things. Do not stupefy, distract, disorient, daze, intoxicate yourself on which leads to any number of things. Don't distract or intoxicate yourself on porn, which leads to divorce. Don't distract yourself or get drunk on food, which leads to health problems. Don't distract yourself with social media, which leads to a ruined self-image. On and on and on. Don't get drunk on this, which will always lead to this. And I know I'm in a room full of people smart enough to begin to fill in those blanks for themselves, but there is a list of acceptable addictions that exist in our world today, whether that be binge-watching Netflix or any number of streaming services, whether that be video games or shopping or social media or food or work or gambling, or even in many circles, still pornography is seen as no big deal, or approval and admiration. These are all things we can get addicted on. Don't get drunk on, which leads to... Anytime there's something in our life, and there's a combination of these things, easy access, endless availability, little accountability... You put those things together, and if those things provide any kind of numbing, comfort, 
ability to forget or escape, then you recognize you're dealing with something that has a lot of danger for your soul. Something that will, can, in the end, get you drunk, so to speak, and remove you from life's realities. Nothing happens good from those, that type of situation. When you get removed, ruin, corruption, debauchery, to use that word, ends up finding a doorway into our lives. Don't be drunk on anything. That will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is an alternative here, and it might sound trite, might sound a little bit like, oh, that sounds so easy. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that exactly what you'd expect the Bible to say? Isn't that exactly what you'd expect a preacher to say on Sunday morning? Instead, be filled with the Spirit. But there's a truth here. God and a grounded, growing relationship with Him is what fulfills everything that we need fulfilling. It really is. Let's learn some more from these therapists in our congregation. One more video. Take a look. Also with addiction, we will promise others and ourselves that we're going to change, but it feels out of our control. There are all kinds of options as far as inpatient treatment if needed, outpatient, intensive outpatient, AA, NA. Um, there are models that you can do with peers and groups, or you can do individually with a therapist. Celebrate Recovery is a wonderful group to join so that we are around other people and we know we're not alone. Even joining a small group can benefit that as well. We can't enable, we have to go to the doctor, we have to go to a counselor, we have to go to AA, we have to go to Celebrate Recovery, we have to get some sort of connection because that is the, the antidote to that addiction, is that connection. I often hear it said that the opposite of addiction is community. I think that that's true for a lot of people because the whole premise of AA is having that community support. Um, a lot of people who struggle with addiction have a lot of shame and guilt about their use and then they isolate. And so that isolation just builds more shame and guilt versus when you can stand in front of people and say, I struggle. You can find that you're not alone and you have support and people do recover. Some things we also need to do is to change our behavior, whether that's driving a different route home, taking apps off of our phone, and also having an accountability partner who's gonna check in on us in a gentle and loving way to see how we're doing. Spouses don't generally make for accountability partners. It needs to be someone outside of our family unit. When your brain changes and you realize that you feel better and you don't have to worry about whatever it is, addiction sets in and it's not like you can just turn it off. The truth is, is there's never going to be enough to fill that void. Only Christ can do that. The opposite of addiction is connection and community. And we see that scripturally as we finish out the passage about not getting drunk on wine. This is the way the rest of it goes. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, comma, speaking to those two powerful words that we see throughout Scripture. One another. One another. 
with psalms, hymns, and songs of, from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful, poetic, kind of inspiring description of life together as a church, singing and speaking and encouraging one another. The opposite of, of addiction is community. If you yourself are dealing with addiction, I hope you're hearing a few things here. Let's talk about some, some steps that, scripturally speaking, would be wise to take. Number one, don't fall under condemnation. You are loved by God and not abandoned. There is nothing that has happened to you or that you've chosen to do to in, in response to that that has in any way diminished God's love for you. Don't fall under condemnation. Don't think that addict is some other column now, some other category that puts you outside of the love and grace of God. And it certainly doesn't put you outside of the love and grace of your brothers and sisters here at Outlook. Do you hear that this morning? Don't fall under condemnation. You are loved by God. You're not abandoned. Secondly, get some specific help. Man, this is something we called it a meat grinder. We called it a beast. We called it enslavement. It's not the kind of thing that you can get out of all by yourself. Jesus can give you the wisdom. That's why we have one another's in our world to help us. So get specific help based on the addiction that you happen to find yourself facing. And so that kind of bleeds into this third thing I want to really focus on. Don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. There is no going it alone. And I, now I want to talk a bit about what happens here every Monday night at 7 o'clock. You heard it mentioned in the video, celebrate recovery. I simply can't overstate how powerful and life-giving Celebrate Recovery is. Every time I'm a part of a Celebrate Recovery meeting, I'm moved to tears. Every time I'm there, I understand that I'm with a group of people who know down to their toes what it means to rely on Jesus. And that is a lesson all of us need reminded of. Let me take you through the first three steps of Celebrate Recovery. And I think after seeing them, you'll admit that there are three steps all of us can do well to take every now and then. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, that our lives had become unmanageable. Man, we got to own that fact, right? We're not saying that there maybe weren't all kinds of things that got us there, but this is where we are. We got to admit that. Step two, we came to believe that a, greater, that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Let's be clear. Celebrate Recovery does make clear that power greater than ourselves is named Jesus Christ. We came to believe that we needed, by ourselves, wasn't going to cut it, right? A power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Anyone have a day where you feel, need, you, you, feel you need restored to sanity? Number three, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills, right? That thing about us that makes decisions, good and bad, turn those over to the care of God. And He does care. Now, steps like those, man, they begin to reverse the crank on that meat grinder that is addiction. They are steps every one of us need to take. Now, if you have someone in your life who's facing addiction, a few things to think about. 
don't get in the meat grinder yourself. Okay, step one. Sometimes boundaries have to be put in place. Some uh, addictions will always lead someone to destructive, corrosive behavior. That's all part of the insidiousness and the tragedy of addiction. And sometimes the best help that you can, can give someone is first to make sure that you don't get sucked in to that devastation. Because if you're torn up, you're of no help to anyone. And that, that's not easy if you have someone in your life who's facing that. But creating that space or that boundary is sometimes exactly what needs to happen. Secondly, understand their story. The temptation is to blame the person in addiction instead of loving them and understanding them and their plight. Are they perhaps doing some really terrible and hurtful things? That's probably true. And that's where the boundaries come in. But realize that they are stuck in the in, the, in, that, in that grinder, that they are in the teeth of that beast, and to pray for the ability to meet them where they are, to begin to understand what got them there, and that there is hope for them to get out. That means guiding them to serious help and community. Listen, there is a period, and this is where I want to end this morning, because I don't know who's listening. I don't know, who, I don't know all of you who are here today. And I don't know who is listening online or will be in the future. And I want you to hear this. There is a period before something becomes an addiction. It may be brief, it may be long, but there is a period there. You may be in that moment, in that window right now. So hear this as we go back to these questions. Every need and hunger has a healthy fulfillment. Every pain and trauma has healing available. Every problem has a solution and a way forward that doesn't mean you have to escape. And every joy has a good and right source. So think and think twice and think again about how you yourself today are addressing your needs, your hungers, your pains, your traumas, your problems, and even your joys and ask whether or not that is being handled in a way that is productive and fruitful and healthy, or perhaps you might be in that window in which you've made some choices that if they continue, won't lead you anywhere good. That window's still open for you today. Now, we're, as we go through this series, not only today, but in the weeks ahead, we're not interested in platitudes, but principles. We're not throwing Bible verses blindly at a serious problem. We are reminding ourselves of and thoughtfully applying the truth of Scripture to the realities of our lives and their challenges. And it's in that light that I want to end with this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of of all comfort. Someone say all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Where do we go for our comfort? Friends, that is the question. Make Christ the answer to that question. Nothing and no one else satisfies heals, helps, or fulfills as He does. Amen? I'd invite you to grab your bread and cup if you 
took, uh, got one on the way in here. Every week we take this moment to stop and remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross, his sacrificial death, his rising from that death. And in a sense, we are declaring our dependence on him. We are saying that this world offers all kinds of things it would love for us to depend upon, maybe even become addicted to. But instead, instead, be filled with the Spirit. We receive what Jesus has done for us. And we're saying each week, I don't want to go more than seven days without getting back together with my brothers and sisters and declaring that it's Jesus who is the foundation of my life. It is on Him I depend ultimately. Amen? Let's take the bread and declare exactly that this morning. And as we take the cup, we're saying once again, it is His death for us, His love that led Him to that death, and that power that raised Him from the death, that is what we in our day-to-day can and will rely upon and depend upon. Let's take and drink. pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we've gotten to be reminded of today. Lord, we ask that you would uh, take it and plant it in our hearts. Use it, Lord, in whatever way you see fit in our lives, in the lives of those we love. Lord, I pray that, that, that there was something here that will, that will be of benefit and of health to those who got to hear it. I pray that you'll do that by your spirit, not by me, but by you. That's our, that's our prayer. Lord, we love you. We love to worship you. And we thank you, God, for being the one who loves us. In Jesus' name, amen.